Hello, and welcome to One Inch Pie Scary Podcast. This is Christy Sayer. I'm delighted to be with you again. It has been, as always, as is my tradition, it has been too long since last we spoke. Um, in fact, a few days longer than I had intended, um, and that is for once because of a legitimate logistical situation where I was not around, I was out of town and not able to um, record a podcast on the day I'd originally intended to, but I am grateful for that because I had some um, experiences that allowed me to get some thinking done about some things that have, and that served me well, just to have some long periods of time to just really sit with my thoughts and, um, you know, consolidate them, distill them into, in my mind as something that I can use and hopefully share now with you on this platform. And I hope that you will find um, the things that I've been thinking about to be as useful to your current circumstances as I have discovered them to be um, for mine. So without further ado, I will um, confess to having had another birthday. And I was just thinking how useful it is to have the um, the learning challenge of dyscalculia because I am not even going to attempt to do the arithmetic to figure out how old I am really. I have strong suspicions. <laughs> but um you know what? I'm somewhere in my forties and that's fine. I'm really grateful to be here. Life is indeed a gift and also especially if you're feeling well and I am very grateful to currently be feeling well and to um have many things in my life to be grateful for. Um, having a birthday is a complex, um, tricky situation for me. I have a lot of stuff um, that is birthday related that has nothing to do with the fear of aging so much as it has to do with um, sort of some weird conditioning and some, some strange uh, birthday experiences in my childhood. But um, I was happy to discover that after initially being shocked that my birthday was uh, the next day when I really did sort of come to grips with the fact that it had arrived again this year, I realized it was the next day and I was very distraught to discover that because I thought I had at least another week to prepare myself emotionally and mentally for that. Um, like I say, not because it's, you know, I'm afraid of like aging so much as it is just a really triggering time and it brings up some bizarre emotions that I'd rather not feel. And I'm embarrassed almost to feel because anything um, after a certain age that involves an undue amount of attention to your birthday feels super immature and weirdly narcissistic. And so the whole thing kind of just like, you know, pulled the rug out from under me. And initially I was like vaguely panicked, like, oh crap, she's here again. I haven't prepared myself. I haven't figured out what to do about it. And then I just sort of was like, you know what, like, um, it's just going to happen. <laughs> That's what I'm going to do about it. It's just going to freaking happen. And I have survived all the others, thank goodness, which is what made, brought us to this, this one. And I should be okay. And indeed, it was actually a very memorable birthday for a couple of different reasons. Um, I, in fact, just had a sense um, and something I'll, that's something that I might or might not talk about later. 
um, that would be just be best to celebrate, you know, any big celebrations the day before, which is what I did. I went out with a couple of incredibly fun, 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 but also very brilliant, wise, kind uh, friends of mine who are uh, somewhat younger than I and can party quite a bit harder and insisted that I kept up, which I valiantly attempted to do. There was much um, mm, eating, drinking, and, you know, making merry and such. And then the next day, um, I, I sat with that. <laughs> I, I reflected on those choices. No, they were all, they were all good choices. I'm very, I'm always very happy to, uh, to get out and, and really have a celebration. And we, um, we joke that, that we, uh, we rent out this local club for our birthdays that we're just, you know, we're so big time that we do that. And the truth is, is that um, all of us in this little group are very COVID conscientious and, um, but also lovers of fun. And um, for at least a couple of our birthdays, maybe, maybe even all three, it's so happened that we've gone out to dinner and then we've hit this particular club that just doesn't get going until well after midnight, I suppose, which is not the time that we hit it. And it is more or less empty and there's a big dance floor and lights and music. And then we just pretend it's ours and, and, you know, do our thing. And so um, we're able once again to get that right. So it was the perfect um, balance of having carefree fun and not and not having to worry about you know being in too close quarters with other people since omicron was just was only just starting to fade at that point so it was it was great and then the next day was dedicated to just chilling with my family and you know february is um not a month that i hate anymore i have really grown to appreciate february in these parts because i recognize that this is the most sun that we get all winter in the in the month of february is when we get like is our best chance of seeing sun and compared to most places it may not seem like a lot of sun but it sure seems like a lot to me sun for more than one consecutive day or even more than one consecutive hour around here in winter is a big deal and so you get your snow which i do love um, particularly when it's sunny, when it's associated with sunny, I can deal with a lot of things, cold, frigidity, the irritating aspects of snow, so long as it's pretty. And I do love the texture and the, the sort of versatility of snow. It's fun to be out in. And so, yeah, so it was a snowy, sunshiny, peaceful day. Um, and I was just chilling with my family and I felt very blessed that I had yet one more year that, um, my, you know, I got to see all of my kids on the one day, not all at the same time because they have crazy work schedules, um, and everybody's doing their thing. So it's not, you know, like a whole day dedicated to your aging mother, but, um, which is just as well, trust me for the sake of the aging mother and her mental health. <laughs> But um, it's it was really nice and not a little poignant. It was actually extremely poignant to realize that this might not happen again until I have a very big and significant birthday in the future where we can we can con or guilt or pay our way to getting all the kids together 
again. So that was um, that was a practice for me in remaining present to what is wonderful and good and being grateful and not letting that be eclipsed by the sadness of the fact that in all likelihood that's not going to happen again for a really long time. Um, and, you know, when I'm talking about the poignancy of that, it was really obviously very much um, emphasized, magnified to a billion times um, um, on behalf of my friend Michelle, whose son, her beautiful son, Luke, um, also passed away on February 6th. Um, and it just felt like, you know, from the moment I woke up, it just felt like a calm, peaceful and, and like somewhat very sacred day. I just had a sense. Um, and, you know, it doesn't it doesn't mean that, you know, I'm a clairvoyant or whatever, but I just really felt um, I felt I, I felt a a quiet um, sense of reverence for the honor of, of sort of sharing that day with him and it um it's been a two-year battle uh against brain cancer a very brave a very courageous fiercely fought uncomplaining faithful cheerful humor-filled just superhuman um, fight against um, brain cancer two years ago. Uh, Luke was just a normal, um, healthy young man. With um, he was in college. He loved playing soccer, um, and he was fine. And then suddenly he was very sick, and um, he was taken to the ER and discovered that he had a massive. Uh, brain tumor, a surgery um, successfully removed that, and then he worked so incredibly hard, so diligently, so faithfully, so uncomplainingly to get um, as much of his um, motor skills back as possible to heal and to become strong again and to get the things that he, you know, enjoyed doing accessible to him again and I just think it's really such a lesson for us all at any phase that we are in our lives that he did not um, look at the reality of the fact that he wasn't going to be exactly as he was before and let that deter him he accepted what was absolutely he wasn't in denial about it um, he was pragmatic and accepted it. And he didn't waste energy on self-pity. He didn't waste energy on wondering why him. Um, he really channeled all of his energy. He channeled all of his, um, you know, just bandwidth, I guess, into getting back as much as he could and working with what he had. And I mean, the maturity of that, uh, Luke was 21 when he passed away last Sunday, and the maturity of that for a young man um, is astonishing, because isn't that what we all sort of aspire to get to in terms of our um, levels of resilience, acceptance, and, you know, emotional maturity? I know I do. 
And, you know, when you are dealing with side effects from medications, when you are dealing with the fact that this, this unbelievably out of nowhere random thing that you certainly didn't bring upon yourself you you know there's nothing he he did to make this happen um unthinkably difficult challenge should come and then it should come literally at the beginning of a two-year global pandemic i mean you could completely you could be absolutely valid in just spending the rest of your life just being pissed about that and being pissed about all the people who abandoned you or who showed their true colors and didn't bother to, you know, mask around you or wouldn't inconvenience themselves to change up routines or, you know, methods of thing, the way things were doing in places that were important to you and, and just become really embittered by that and just become really caught up in trying to even figure it out intellectually and, and be bewildered by it. But he didn't do that. Um, he just got a, he got to work and he is a, a young man of extremely deep, um, unwavering faith, very devout, a very devout Christian who lived his faith every day. And, um, you know, as, as you all know, if you've, followed me at all if you know me at all is that I've left you know I left my faith of my childhood and most of my adulthood and my faith is not an easily defined one now um but I am I am actively healed by seeing people who um call themselves Christian act like Christians um, who use the example of Jesus Christ as an exemplar and and model themselves and do the types of things that he did and who make sacrifices both small and large for other people who don't um, you know hate in his name and who just sort of serve and he did all of these things at a very young age he was um prior to becoming sick he was extremely devout in his christian faith he was um it was you know his main passion and he had many he was an artist he was an athlete he was a really smart guy he had a lot of friends and enjoyed many many things um but his main motivation was always um being the best christian and representative of um, Jesus Christ that he could be. And he really succeeded in that. I think that was, you know, the main memory that everybody carries with them of what, you know, his defining quality was. And he's known for wearing a bracelet that said, I am second, and he would uh, wear that proudly. And in the end, he always intended to get a tattoo of it. In the end, um, he wasn't able to get a tattoo, but he had a temporary tattoo put on um, of that. And it really was tattooed on his heart that he, you know, he he lived his faith and he believed that he came second to what Jesus wanted him to do and to serving his fellow man. And that was a that's an inspiring thing to think about. Um, and that's a legacy that will live on. There's a lot of people's lives who have been affected by by the purity uh, of that. Um, and his family shared that faith. And I think. I was 
just blown away by the fact that just like Luke didn't waste time on any of the other stuff, his mother um, wasted very little time on anything but making, but pouring her heart and soul into helping him to heal and then helping him to be more comfortable. Um, toward the end, you know, it was a 24-7 superhuman um a very long marathon and she did not waver for one moment and I think that you know having access to deep wells of personal faith and a belief system that um, helped her to make sense of this and gave her a lot of strength um, and at the same time she is in unfathomable pain at this time and so is the rest of his family and um I had to re-record this because I was so emotional the first time I, I, I talked about it and I didn't think that was appropriate for me. Um, you know, at this moment in time, it's it's sort of more of a private thing, I think, and I, I didn't feel appropriate for me to be conveying such raw emotion, but in um, I have such a great sense of empathy or sympathy um, none of those words are, are accurate or feel right to use. Um, compassion. Um, I, I, I feel that all of us, you know, in a loss such as this, if we care about somebody, are changed forever, you know. And one of the things that I think... I've seen people say in the most well-meaning ways to lots of people who have lost um, loved ones is I can't imagine. I can't imagine what you're going through. And, you know, funny enough, I actually saw that in a, in a list of things to say. There's, I, I posted a list shortly after Luke died of, helpful things to say and helpful things to keep to yourself, not to say. And one of them was on the helpful list. And that was, um, say, I can't imagine. And it struck me as weird. It really rubbed me the wrong way. I was like, that just doesn't feel helpful. I don't like to hear that. When I've had something really horrible happen to me and people hear about it, I don't like them to say, I can't imagine. It feels like they're putting you in a place far from them where they're happy they're not you. And they might feel bad for you from afar, but it's very isolating. And I don't like that. We are given imaginations for a reason. And I think probably the biggest reason is to try to understand the pain of other people and use that imagination to act in ways in which we would like them to act towards us in similar circumstances, right? So when you say, I can't imagine, maybe you can't. And it is also true that you can't say, I know how you feel. That's a definite no-no because you don't. You don't. You never know how another person feels because you're not 
even if you've also lost a child, um, your set of circumstances and their set of circumstances and all the resilience that they've built up or not built up and all the past traumas and everything don't line up. We just never know exactly how another person feels. So that's something we can just kind of throw out um, just because it's inaccurate on its face. I know it's well-meaning and everything, but that's a definite like no-no in these circumstances. But saying I can't imagine seems, it seems like pretty lazy emotionally to me and I don't like it and I when I spoke to people who have lost loved ones that are really really close to them they've agreed and um, Michelle in fact said she knows it's people mean well but she hates it and I was like I'm so glad you feel that way because I've always thought it was the worst so instead of saying to people I can't imagine how about you don't say that you could say I can only imagine um, and I am so sorry, um, or something else, but use that, you know, if that thought comes into mind, maybe I could challenge you to use that as a, hmm, as an invitation to really try, to really try, because if, you know, if your faith tradition teaches that we bear each other's burdens, and we mourn that those who mourn and comfort those who come stand in need of comfort as Christianity does. And I think every spiritual and religious tradition teaches a ver version of this because honestly, who, what are we if we're not walking each other home, right? That's still a quote from, it eludes me at this moment. Um, but that's kind of the purpose, right? Our highest selves are easing the ways for other people, easing suffering around us. And if you just sort of like, it just sounds like such a cop-out, and I'm sure often people who are doing everything right and are feeling massive depths of compassion have used these words. Um, and this doesn't apply to you if you have. But, you know, for people to go, oh, gosh, I can't imagine, and then just scurry away, that's oh, it's it's more painful than if you'd said nothing, and saying nothing is super painful. So um, let me just you know again just invite you to try, just try, just put yourself, sit in the discomfort, be willing, and I think that's the greatest gift that we can give each other, right? To be willing to sit in the discomfort of somebody else's unspeakable pain, their unimaginable pain. Um, is something that we can, in fact, experiment with. And it is a gift that we give. It is a wholehearted, unselfish, selfless attempt to hold space for another. And yes, it's deeply uncomfortable, deeply so. And that is a gift, being willing to sit in a space, in an uncomfortable space, even though you know that sitting in it will not fix the thing. Right, I think a lot of us are more willing to make sacrifices that will feel uncomfortable if we know that there can be a payoff, that everything can be fixed in the end. But in a circumstance like this, I'm learning that there is no fixing this. There's just helping somebody to carry it, right? And that requires us to become vulnerable personally and to allow ourselves to imagine and to sit with that and to feel that pain alongside of them or do our very, very best. And they know I think people can sense when we're doing that. And um, yeah, I think that's a gift. That is a gift that a lot more of us can um, 
work on developing or honing better. Um, and imagination is a terrible thing to waste. So don't say I can't imagine because we can, most of us cannot imagine. We can't imagine. Um, all right, well, that was not the direction that I intended to begin this podcast with. Um, but that's just where it went. And um, I think it's an important thing to, to share. So um, on to something else. Um, on the way down to Luke Services, uh, the family lives in Iowa. And we live in Ohio, so it's about a nine-hour drive. And um, I usually am a very nervous passenger. I do not like to be in a speeding speeding vehicle of any kind, not a plane, not a train, not a bus, not a car. And the automobile is something that freaks me out and I prefer not to be in. But um, So I tend to just go on my phone and watch mindless dumb crap all day. Um, if I'm in the car and something, that's something that my husband truly appreciates, really. So, um, you know, the back seat, side seat, passenger seat driving is not necessarily anyone's favorite. So it surprised me that on this particular trip, I just didn't have any desire. Nothing could, nothing could hold my uh, attention. Um, I suppose it's not surprising. And so I spent most of the trip just watching the weather, watching the sky, um, changing as we drove. And of course, it's a course of nine hours and it's winter in the Midwest. And so things are pretty changeable. And we drove through um, a really convincing snowstorm. Thankfully, it didn't last too long, but it, there was a lot of snow. It was like hard to see. It was actually really pretty if you weren't the one driving. Um, and then, you know, as we drove for a little while longer, we we moved out of it and the clouds were just really heavy and gray still but then there's sort of like this watery light would start to filter through the clouds and outline those really dark clouds and and highlight them and make them look all purple and dramatic and really pretty and then there is like you know sort of more and more breaks in the clouds and the sky became more blue and this the sun just shone so brilliantly and there's nothing as bright as the sun shining down on a freshly you know snowed upon landscape it's very bright and brilliant and it's just so hard to believe that you were just very recently in this almost white out conditions with this heavy gray leaden sky that's just kind of like meets the horizon you can't really see the difference between the sky and the road you know that kind of heavy heavy and then there's just this like stunning blue sky and this like glittery, glittery, like white, golden, and golden, well, golden sun and this white diamond snow. And it's just spectacularly just bright, 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 bright. And then as we drove further, we just saw the most gorgeous sunsets. And Luke was an artist and always promised to paint his mother beautiful sunsets and, you know, and he's already started doing that he did that on you know an hour after he died it was the most spectacular sunset in the in the sky over their home and so I was really invested in in watching the sunset and taking photos for her and, and just really like taken with the concept of how 
many feelings a human heart can carry at one time because I had felt so many different emotions um, and I could only fathom the, the, you know, how many more emotions my friends, the Zieglers were going through at that time, particularly Michelle. Um, I cried for a good chunk of the time. I was able to laugh um, on and off. I felt a sense of great peace and serenity for some of the time. I There were flashes of incredible anger. Um, just the whole gamut, you know, in this nine-hour trip, as well as just watching the weather change. And it just reminded me of one of my favorite quotes that I that I quote frequently um, by Padma Chodron. I hope I, I'm always butchering these names. and But she says everything, oh, you are the sky. You are the sky. Everything else, that's just the weather. And I love that image, you know, that we are the sky. We are capable of carrying anything that, you know, of entertaining whatever weather happens to pass by. We are immense and spacious and gracious and strong and unchanging and unshakable and unbreakable. The sky does not rip in two when the lightning, you know, strikes. It's, it's. It's a screen that's entertaining these shows, you know. It's entertaining these weather tantrums and these beautiful displays. It's just this, it's an observer. And it is such an exquisite example of how we can carry and hold so many things at once. And not one single one of them defines us. No set of experiences define us. No set of emotions define us. No circumstances define us. And nothing is permanent. It's all temporary. So if you're having the worst feeling and you don't think you can survive it, you have to remember that no feeling is final. If you're having the best feeling, and you just want to clutch onto it and it's actually ruining life for you because you're so invested in making sure that you can hoard all the good things that you're experiencing right now. Um, you know, that in a way that's just as bad, right? It really does sort of compromise the experience of life for you. And that's a, and that is something that I am, I'm very, very prone to. Um, but going back to what I originally was talking about, how we can hold so many emotions and we are not defined by any one set of them or any one set of circumstances. That is, I wrote, you know, I wrote on my social media, I wrote an account of this, um, which you may have read if you follow me already. But I said, you know, just like thinking about Luke and the fact that he could still laugh and he could still, you know, when he was healthy and when he was sick, he still had his faith. He still had his humor. He still had great love. He was still, you know, a low drama guy. He was chill. Um, it just goes to show that circumstances are not who we are. Our circumstances are not who we are. You are not poor. You are not rich. You are not, you know, your job. You are not 
whatever title you are. You are not whatever marital status you are, or whatever your romantic situation is. You are not even, you know, defined by the fact that you have kids. You yourself are an entity that is completely separate from these things. They do not define you. Your circumstances can and will change. Um, and, you know, all these things add up to, to you know, make a personality or, or, you know, sort of create a life. But you are the sky and everything else is just weather. And that's an infinitely comforting thing, I think, to recognize that our consciousness and, you know, our souls are eternal. And I really believe that if whatever word you want to use, um, I, I believe it because... I practice meditation and I know that when I'm meditating, I can go outside of myself and observe myself. And I think even people who don't meditate can experiment with the thought of looking, you know, when you're watching yourself having an experience, not like a full out of body experience, but when you can be like, stand outside of yourself and watch you doing a thing. Um, who's what's doing the watching right that's your consciousness that's something else that's bigger than your life and your circumstances or your personality or your mental health or whatever it is or your identities or whatever so this i don't think that we can be reminded enough times that we are the sky and i think it allows us an incredible um, amount of liberation you know the fact that on the day before this beautiful set of services that Michelle was preparing for her son, you know, just the, the attention to detail and the, the huge amount of like effort and work that she did in the midst of her like grief and her shock in the course of a week to make this funeral and this visitation and memorial just such a personalized glimpse into the very, um, full life that Luke lived and the, the multifaceted human that he was, um, that she was able to do that, that she was able to compartmentalize, you know, the fact that she was grieving this unspeakable grief and also doing this beautiful act of service, this last act of service for her son, with finding the energy to do that somewhere. And then that she also in the midst of that was able to meet us at a hotel and bring me chocolate the the type that she knew I liked, you know, dark chocolate with nuts. Like, I mean, that in its of itself shows us that we are the sky. You know, we are not defined by any one thing, any one event, and it often feels that way. Often, you know, and if you've had a lot of trauma in your life and you're triggered by something, it it does feel like we're sort of victims of our circumstance and that we are defined by that trauma. But that's that's not true and going back to you know how we can get really down and depressed about how you know life seems to be um you know if if we're in a in a in a bad space you know this is our life this is who we are we can really get sort of trapped in that that false notion that this is forever this is me now you know um 
And then on the other side of the coin, when we're having a really wonderful time and we, especially if we're conditioned from past trauma or we have PTSD or complex PTSD, especially um, that triggers anxiety. If we're having a good time, we are often, that triggers this kind of like um, sense of scarcity within us or a sense of hypervigilance to try and make sure that that is maintained. And I think of that as, and you know, that is, that is, I think if you combine that sometimes with some magical thinking and uh, self-fulfilling prophecies and whatever can be a really dangerous way to go because you never trust happiness again. And that's really from just, you know, for me, speaking for myself, it's it's just completely related to childhood trauma that if I was having a peaceful, wonderful time, feeling safe as a child, and then, you know, my spaces and my safety were violated and I didn't, you know, there was nothing that I could count on. There was no one place or person, um, you know, in terms of my caregivers that I could count on to be, um, to protect me or to, do, you know, that sort of thing. And so if, you are not having a, if your childhood was not safe or it was not reliably, you know, peaceful to some extent, um, that's just conditioning. And so I promise you, if I can give you any gift, um, I want to promise you <laughs> that enjoying any one thing at any one time is not cursing, is not is not like cursing the future. Relaxing into this moment does not mean you're being irresponsible. Just absorbing whatever's good around you should not, I know that it does trigger anxiety and that's difficult, but should not make you feel this sort of low grade sense of guilt or irresponsibility because you're not guarding against losing those things. Um, in fact, the opposite is true. The opposite is true. Um, often people will think, you know, every single time I let my guard down and I'm happy for a moment, then I just get bitch slapped by the universe or like, you know, whatever. Bad things happen. I can only, I can never let my guard down, not with people, not just, I can never feel content, blah, 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 blah. And that is due to your childhood conditioning. And it's just a matter of what you're tuned into and what you're expecting. You have that hypervigilance in the back of your mind. And so you're expecting bad things to happen. And then when life inevitably just throws you a curveball because life just be that way, um, you're going to associate that sort of that correlation and the, the, you're going to get very confused with causality and correlation. And, um, you know, being happy does not cause life to, beat you up it is not you don't get slapped for enjoying life you don't get slapped for expecting good things um and that's just childhood or trauma conditioning so i like to think of it as if you're in a wonderful beautiful moment right and it's just warm and safe and you just feel so tempted to just sink into it I want you to think of it as if it's you've run yourself a big, hot, wonderful bubble bath, if that's your scene. If you don't like a bubble bath, think of it a nice hot shower on a really cold day. And you've just been dying. It's been cold outside and life is, you know, you've just been beaten up all day. You've been out in the freezing cold or you've 
gone running and you're all wet and cold and sweaty or whatever it is, or you're achy or whatever, and this warm water is just awaiting you. It would be, and then you finally get to sink into it and it feels so nice. It would be such a waste of that lovely, beautiful experience to not just appreciate it for what it is, right? If the second you just, that water like surrounded you and you felt that wave of pleasure, you would you immediately was like, don't enjoy this too much because you've got to get out. And you might have, you know, an hour ahead of you that really you don't, if you're lucky. Imagine how, like, what a waste that would be of that wonderful, pleasurable moment. What if you were like, don't get too used to this because you don't know when you're never going to have hot water again. Or like, you're never going to be able to shower or bath again. That's pretty much what we're doing when joy finds us or contentment finds us or just a simple pleasure finds us and we just get our guard up and we get our hypervigilance up, right? Um, and, you know, after the last two years, that is to be expected because we've really been yanked around. It's, it's under control. It's not under control. Everybody's playing ball. They're not. We are, like, not just the last two years, like, pretty much what like the last most of a decade has been traumatic and then that's just on a global level i mean the the personal traumas of you know your loved ones being sick and losing people i mean it's understandable don't don't judge yourself for this just recognize what it's about and be willing to just enjoy that hot water, enjoy that bath, enjoy that reprieve. I do believe that, you know, life is, is a teacher. It's a tough curriculum. It's a tough curriculum for sure. Um, but enjoying when things are relatively easy or just enjoying beautiful moments in the midst of the hell, you know? If you find yourself in the midst of your grieving and your mourning, enjoying something, or forgetting that you're in mourning, just even for a split second and enjoying and laughing something, don't, you know, don't cling to the, don't cling to it, whatever it is. You know, I always just say, if you cling to something good, it's like, holding on to soap too tightly, it's going to squirt right out of your hand. You know, that doesn't, that doesn't help either. Um, you know, if you're holding a bar of soap tightly, it's, yeah, because you like it so much, it's going to, it's going to slide straight out of your hand. Just hold on to it gently. Just enjoy it. Inhale whatever the good smells and enjoy it because you're the sky and it's going to pass by. It's temporary, but it does not, you're not cursing your future by letting your guard down and just soaking it up. And if anything, it's restorative. You know, you're not, um, we cannot rehearse for tragedy. We cannot get stronger and prepare ourselves. And this is a mistake I've made for most of my life, is preparing myself for tragedy, or so I thought, by imagining bad things happening to me and then experiencing them over and over and then they never happen. So I basically wasted my time experiencing things that never happened. A good deal of my life has been spent that way. It's very tragic. It's very tragic. Um, and honestly, I just felt like by pre-preparing, I was like almost in training so that I wouldn't be hurt so much. 
again, that's a, that's a trauma response and it's not something, you know, that I'm blaming myself for. And now that I understand better, I can work with it better. And maybe you can too. But it, I do think that, you know, just like when I go on a run or I work out and my muscles are sore and I go and take a bath with a lot of Epsom salts, it, you know, it heals those muscles, it relaxes them. <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> Hope that doesn't show up too loudly. It um, uh, you know, basically just allows me to sleep better, and you know, helps my muscles to like repair themselves. And it, and what it is doing is, is actually, um, what is the word? It's fortifying me for for bad things in the future. So soaking up joy is fortification. Rehearsing tragedy is exhausting and battering, and it actually breaks down our resilience. So it's doing the opposite of what you think. So if you feel guilt or contentment at any time, don't second guess it. Just, you know, sit, sink into it. Don't grab hold of it either with a sense of scarcity. Just sink into it. Just sink into it. So, you know, just like you would a hot bath. Um, all right, this has just been all over the place for me. Um, what was the one other thing? I guess there's another quote that is, the bad news is, and I think it's also by the same person, I think it's by Padma Chodron, who says, um, something like, Oh, gosh, I don't want to actually attribute it to her. But the, the bad news is, is that you're falling without a parachute. The good news is that, that there is no ground. So trying to, you know, prepare ourselves for every eventuality and control things and the fact that we're in a free fall and we don't know what's happening and the uncertainty and everything. Um you know, that's an illusion. And I think the last two years have really been confronting in that way. It's, we've all been invited to confront the fact that most of what we thought was real in terms of security, in terms of all the things are, are an illusion. And some of us have been um, more healthy about embracing the reality of that on both sides of the spectrum. You know, some of us have gone to great, great lengths to avoid confronting the reality of that by just denying that anything's different and others of us have become fully frightened and terrified and trying to control every single outcome i've been way more inclined to be on that unhealthy side of the spectrum but the fact is is that we have all been invited at least to confront the fact that most things are outside of our control and that's okay (laughs) there's really and if it's not okay there's still nothing we can do about it so we, the only real thing is whatever moment we're in. And if you're enjoying it, sink into it. Let it fortify you. Don't make it, you know, either a premonition of bad things to come or, you know, feel like you're going to have to pay back a debt of happiness or whatever it is. And if a terrible moment or series of moments or period of time is what's going on for you, recognize that that's not going to be your reality forever. And, you know, I just 
when I was in the midst of my hardest times, I would have a recurring dreams of, you know, waves, massive, I just had a lot of wave themes in my dreams and they were like tsunamis most of the time related to just saving people, saving myself, saving my family, all the secrets I was keeping. And it was just like a lot of wave themes, devastating waves. And I would remember at some point in my dream that I always had an escape and that I could, I learned this when I was learned as a little girl growing up in South Africa on a beach, um, that you could avoid being dunked by the waves and scraped along the bottom of the ocean floor and just beaten up and, half drowned if you um, dived underneath the wave, just dived deep, dived deep enough under the wave and it was really peaceful down there. No matter what was going on, on above the surface, chaotic, if you got deep enough, you could survive even the biggest wave. And in my most of my dreams, I would remember that at the last moment and just go really deep and stay there until the wave passed. And I think that was just, you know, my psyche telling me, you're going to make it through this. You just have to write it out. Just like go deep inside of yourself. And and that's actually why one of the reasons why I have a, a, a little tiny tattoo of a wave on my wrist to remind me, you know, we can move with the waves. We can ride the waves. That's extremely fun, you know, during the good times. And when they're too big to survive tsunami style, we can go deep. And we can wait it out. And um, yeah, I think I think I've managed to, you know, survive a lot of things just by being reminded over and over in my highly chaotic dreams that there's always that escape. There will always be grace of some kind. There will always be a little glimmer of grace that will get you through to the next moment. And you only have to live one moment at a time. That sounds incredibly trite for somebody who's in excruciating pain because even one moment you know being burned by a red hot poker is one moment too long um it's of very little comfort and i am aware of that but i do know that there's enormous depths there's enormous um strength to be found when we just go deep and when we ask for help there will always be little tiny bits of grace um one last story i want to tell just before i end this is when we were in iowa and i have to just give so many props to my husband he's always so damn supportive of anything that i want to do you know people give me i get a lot of the credit it's kind of like a, the wind beneath my wings thing <laughs> i get credit for doing a lot of nice things and the truth is, is that you know if i do nice things i get the credit the truth is, is that Aaron facilitates um, most of the nice things that I do. Um, he allows that to happen. You know, he he's never stingy about sharing money. He always will find a way to make time. He thought nothing of taking several days off work to drive me nine hours each way. Um, just nothing, no hesitation whatsoever. And yeah, I have to give him a lot of credit. And we went over Valentine's Day. And um, obviously, it was just an emotionally fraught, uh, very intense um, time. And I, you know, would get back to our hotel room. And I, one of the evenings, I came back to our hotel room, and I just kind of like numbly just 
lay on the bed. I don't remember how, but I had the remote and I found, you know, we're clicking through and we're in a hotel room. We can watch anything. We finally don't have kids around, whatever, you know, it's just like an opportunity for us to do whatever or watch whatever and not have to worry about what other people are, you know, their opinions or watch kids stuff or whatever. And there I have the remote and I latch on to, of all things, a PBS documentary about Queen Elizabeth and all the speeches she's given over her reign. And you know what? Queen Elizabeth may be many things. And, you know, I am not going to go into the monarchy now. I don't have any strong feelings one way or the other. But an orator of note, she is not. Um, her speeches, one, I don't know. It felt like a stretch to make a documentary about them. But anyway, it was made. And it was the least stimulating thing. And I think that's just why my brain latched onto it. Just even like, I don't even remember doing it. I don't remember settling on it until I'd just been watching it like, you know, slack George for probably 10 minutes later. And was like, so this is, you know, cool. You know, he didn't even be like, are you serious? Can we watch something else? He just recognized, he recognized that I needed to just watch paint dry, basically. He saw, you know, this is what she needs. And he just quietly just gave me chocolate and just like, you know, lay close to me in a soothing fashion. And it was just, uh, it was, you know, that's, that's Valentine's Day. That's romance right there. When somebody just sees you where you're at and I can just quietly let you be there and just support you in that. That is, you know, we've been married for 26 years or so. I don't know, man, what are we coming up for? Maybe longer than that. I, I don't know maths. And that's, that's probably the most romantic thing any body's ever done on Valentine's for me. It's just let me watch paint dry on PBS and when I dozed off and I woke up late, I had noticed that he had gotten every single pillow and he had put it on top of me because he knows that at home I sleep with a weighted blanket and I sleep a lot better that way. And so failing having a weighted blanket, he did what he could. And I just was like so touched by that. And it helped me to be like, you know what? I've got to be more like this. I've got to be more accepting of people where they're at and not try to inflict what I think is better and just recognize where people are at. And can you imagine what a better world that would be? Including myself, like you're at this spot now, just let it be, let it be. No, you don't have to do that extra thing. It's not gonna make you a worse or a better person if you do it. Right now you just need to, you know, stare out of a window or do what you need to do. I know that I kept urging um, my friend Michelle to rest preparing for the funeral and she had she knew what she needed to do. She knew what she wanted to do. And she just kind of like quietly but firmly went about her business. But she was very clear on what she needed to do. And I just really was like, I admired that, you know. Um, it must have been tempting for her to, to, you know, take that advice. I'm sure she was exhausted. But she knew what she would, she would later have wanted herself to do and she knew what she needed to do and she just kind of like graciously but quietly sort of brushed off those suggestions and 
I later thought about how much more supportive and helpful it would have been just to sort of follow her cues. And I tried to do that from then on. But I think, you know, for all of us, for our spouses, for our children, for ourselves, for our friends, for our coworkers, let's do less imagining what we think people should be doing and how much better it could be and just notice where they're at. And then just make that place better for them. Bring pillows and bring chocolate. And, you know, just make it softer and sweeter. Add, see where they're at, and add pillows and chocolate. And I think that's what I'm going to leave you with today. Um, thank you so much for tuning in. Um, I do fervently request your prayers and love and whatever it is that you, whatever good energy that you work with um, to be directed to my dear friends, the Ziglers. Um, in this time of loss, they're extremely, um, they miss their boy so much. They're, they're so strong and so faithful, but they are, they are missing him so much. They're so bereft. And I do believe in the power of a universal energy sending love, um, to, in one direction. And I, I, I know that makes a difference. Um, in time, I will be sharing details uh, if you are inclined to donate to a cause that will um, further Luke's legacy and help other people um, with the types of therapy that he had after his brain surgery and um, something that's really important to his family. So I'll be sharing uh, links and details on that um, pretty soon. But for now, please just direct all your love and prayers and good energy their way if you are so inclined. Once again, lost my air card. And uh, thank you so much for tuning in. Sending lots of love and light and chocolate and pillows your way too. And I'll talk to you soon. Take care.